I haven't really, um, I have had a crazy cough the last couple of weeks, so I'll, my code word is going to be pineapple if a coughing attack comes on. So if you hear pineapple, panic. All right. Uh, sorry. I, I don't feel bad for me because I know most of you are probably dealing with the exact same thing. So I'm going to do this before I get started so I'm not like, you know who. Who am I? I'm just kidding. Yeah, there you go. All right. If you didn't watch this, the State of the Union, you, didn't, you won't get that. So, um, As a student pastor, <clears throat> I've been working with teenagers for about 15 years now, and I get to pay attention to how they do things and what they do and why they do all the things they do. And part of the thing that I've done is, as a, as a student pastor, I take them to conferences so I don't have to do anything. And so I just kind of take them, lead them around like sheep, get them in a van, get them home. That's all I have to do. But part of the thing with conferences is there's these huge stages and lots of lights and lots of explosions because if it's student-driven, it's got to have explosions. Um, and so what I see, though, is I like to watch how a generation <clears throat> chooses to worship. I like to watch how students respond to what they're seeing on the screen. And typically, the, 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 the big ones that you see are uh, some students explode in worship and their arms are out and everything is huge and everything is big and everything is grand. But then the one I see a lot is this one. Um, the other one that I am is hugely popular among teenagers is this one. You know, this is, this is, there's like a boyfriend or a girlfriend right here, so. And like, it's obvious where the girl is trying to worship, and she's like, get off of me, and the guy is like, no, baby. You get closer to God, you're going to walk away from me. I know how this works, and so it's like this. Um, but typically, um, in student ministry, you see this very strange response, the very loud declaration songs, you see kids going, you're awesome, God. God's so good. You get the half clap occasionally. Um, you might have some involvement. Typically, it's more of the, all right, are we raising our hands now? No, no one's raising their hands. All right, I'm going to put my hands down too. So there's a lot to it. And, and I've always been baffled by the response that there can be 50% of the people in the room lost in worship. And I'm not talking just about an outward expression because mo some of the most godly men I know don't raise their hands during worship. Some of the most godly men I know don't get lost and start spinning around and waving flags and doing other things. It's not an outward expression. Some of the most godly men I know sit down in their chairs and put their heads in their hands because they are broken about what they're singing. So I'm not asking for an outward response. God's not asking for an outward response. He's asking for a heart. So first of all, if our hands are up and we're waving them like crazy, but our heart's not there, God hates what we're doing anyways. But with a heart that is fully devoted to him and set on fire and, and passionately pursuing, that's what he's rejoicing in. So I'm not talking about the outward expression, but I am asking, why could a room be so divided? Why could 50% of the people be lost in worship? Why could 50% be not? And I'm here to tell you that what I have found, and this is, this is one of those things where it's taken a while to figure it out, but where there's no wonder, there is no worship. Where there is no awe and wonder, there will not be worship. That line in this song, we are stunned with wide-eyed wonder, is a huge line. Because I believe it's the motivation for why we do what we do. You know what wonder looks like. Wonder looks like me taking my four-year-old to school <coughs> every day, and we pass Toys R Us every day. 
And as a four-year-old, I can feel the heat coming off of my kid's head looking at Toys R Us. So much so that one day we were driving there and he says the words, Daddy, can we pray for people to go to Toys R Us because it's so great? I was like, I bet we could start a prayer campaign for Toys R Us and we could get paid, son. That's a great idea. You know what wonder looks like. Don't pretend like that's just a big Bible word. Wonder, 1950s, Beatles. You know what wonder looks like. And it's not like it's changed. Justin Bieber fans, same exact response. Now, you sports fans are not off the hook, all right? You sports fans are just as bad. You know what it means. I mean, I have seen and met guys who like, man, my only desire in life is to step on to the Atlanta Falcons football field. That's your only desire? Really? That's all you want to do? Your life will be complete if you take a step onto the Georgia Dome turf? That's it? That's pretty low shooting, but whatever. But you know what wonder looks like. And typically our response <coughs> when it comes to wonder and awe, a natural response to being in awe and wonder of something is to talk about it. Like it's what we do. It drives us. It's who we are. Like I use the iPad example all the time. Apple didn't send me a how to tell your friends about your Apple iPad. I knew how to talk to them about my Apple iPad because I was sold on the Apple iPad. I use it. I figured it out. I'm like, why you got that clunky thing right there? Get rid of that. Get with that. Get, out, get that out of here. Take this. This is what you want. It does everything you need. Apple didn't have to tell me how to tell my friends about my Apple iPad. I figured it out. I was sold. I told them. It's the same thing with everything else. When you are struck in awe and wonder by that thing, you will talk about it. And typically our response when we do that, when we're struck by something, we, the way we relate to people about that thing is we tell them what it does and what it can do. Like with Michael Jordan, when I'm trying to make sure every young pup knows that Michael Jordan is better than any player that has ever stepped on a basketball court, I can give them all the stats. Today is Michael Jordan's 50th birthday. You know? I'm sitting there going 63 points against the Boston Celtics in a playoff game, 69 points against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Shut up. Nobody is better. But that's the way we relate. When, we, when, we're, when we're like, man, something is amazing, we typically say what it does and what it can do. Now, there is a character that Chris Farley played in Saturday Night Live uh, several years ago. And the way he gets around these people that are amazing is exactly, I feel like, the way we get around God. So you can watch this clip and then I'll tie it all together if it doesn't make sense to you. Um, hi, I'm Chris Farley and this is the Chris, this is the Chris Farley show. And... Uh, Tonight, uh, my host is Jeff Daniels, one of the greatest actors um, around, I guess. And God, I hate doing this part, man. I never know what to say. No, no, you're doing fine, Chris. You're doing good. Really? Yeah. yeah. No, I'm not. Anyway. <laughs> Mr. Daniels has done the Purple Rose of Cairo, Terms of Endearment, um, Arachnophobia, and uh, something wild, which is an awesome flick. Oh, thanks. Thank you. You remember in uh, Something Wild when uh, Melanie Griffith had you handcuffed to the bed? Remember that? Yeah. And you, you had to make that phone call, remember? And you were chained to the thing and you couldn't get away? 
Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> okay, so you were uh, also in the Purple Rose of Cairo. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah. Uh, remember when you were doing your movie and uh, Mia Farrow was watching and then you came down off the screen and talked to her? And you were in black and white when you were on the screen, but then when you talked to her, you were in color. Yeah, what about it? Um, you remember that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. You remember when you were with the Beatles? And you were supposed to be dead? And uh, there's all these clues that, like, he'd uh, play some song backwards and it'd say, like, Paul is dead. And, uh... Everyone thought that you were dead or something? Yeah. 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 Uh, that was um, a hoax, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't really dead. Right. Uh, you, you remember um, Beatlemania? <laughs> Where those four guys, they dressed, uh, I went on stage and they looked like you and, and then they played Beatles songs and, and... Yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I, think you, I think we've got time for one more question. It's, it, it's I, I find it humorous, but that's kind of how I read the scripture. Because the Old Testament is nonstop telling God who He is. Like, and if you have your Bibles, you can open to Nehemiah chapter 9 and just <laughs> hang out there for a second. I'm just going to read the first couple of verses. But then they go into this huge rant of all the things that God has done. And it's not that... I mean, it's a very common thing to, have, to see in the Old Testament is seeing people telling God what He's done. And what's interesting about the book of, of Nehemiah is that things are bad. Uh, things are not good. The city is laying in waste, and they decide, let's get together. Let's worship the Lord. Let's read the Word of God out loud. Let's repent. Let's seek forgiveness for our sin, and let's, let's just go there. And so they do in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9. <clears throat> and this is just one of like a billion examples you could have, I could have gone through. But watch what they do here. Nehemiah, chapter 9. On October 31st, the people assembled again, and this time they fasted and dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours, you're welcome, uh, while the book of the law of the Lord, their God, was read aloud to them. Then for three more hours they confessed their sins and worshipped the Lord there. In verse 5 you see, Then the leaders of the Levites said, Stand up! And praise the Lord your God, for He lives from everlasting to everlasting. Then they prayed. Listen to this. May your glorious name be praised. May it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the skies and the heaven and all the stars. And you made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You preserve them all. And the angels of heaven worship you. And then they just keep going and going. And you see, you are the Lord God. <coughs> You saw the misery of our ancestors. You displayed miracles. You have a glorious reputation. You divided the sea. You led our ancestors. You came down to Mount Sinai. You gave them regulations. You gave them the bread of heaven and were, when they were hungry and water from the rock when they were thirsty. 
God, you, you, you remember that? That's awesome. I mean, I can see Moses doing that. I can see these Old Testament guys just going, God, do you remember when you did these things? Now, here's the punchline of it all. God hasn't forgotten that he did those things. God wasn't like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I've done so many amazing things, I forgot. Those things were said not for God, but for us. We make these declarations of you are God, not to remind God, not to remind him that since he's forgotten, but it's because we're the ones who forget. We're the ones who go, I'm God. Whoa, 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 wait. No, no, you're God. Whoa, 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 hold up. I am not as big and grand as I think I am. You are God. And so the amazing part of all the Old Testament, when you see David and the prophets do it, they're not doing it so that God will be like, that's right. I mean, he could if he wanted to. He's God. He can flex. He can do whatever he wants to. But it's because the people forgot. You know, and the, the, the amazing part about this is, is, is God is not... God is not like the Greek and Roman gods of the day. You see, the Greek and Roman gods knew that without the worship of the people, they would cease to exist. And so they would do things in their story world where they would cause the people to have to return to them so they wouldn't vanish. Not so with God. You can actually see in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 9, what sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it? Saying, stop. You're doing it wrong. Does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? You see, the argument of the creature telling the creator that it ain't doing it right has been around since the beginning. Satan, cast from heaven, not satisfied with being next to God, wanting to be God. Adam and Eve, cast from the garden, not satisfied being near God, wanting to be God. You see, the significance of the song, You Are God, is not just because it's a catchy tune, but it's because it was... The phrase, you are God, was what you and I were created to declare from our hearts. You and I were completely and totally created to declare the phrase, you are God. You know what that means by default? It means I am not. My favorite line for this song is not even in the song. Because what's implied by saying you are God is me saying I am not. When I say you are God, I'm saying I'm not as smart as you. I don't have a plan like you do. I've got my thoughts, but yours are bigger, yours are grander, yours are better, and they're, 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 in some ways I don't even understand them. When you say a phrase, you are God, by implication you are saying you are not. And it's what we were meant to say. But you and I both know it doesn't always work that way. You and I both know I am God typically is the phrase we like to roll with. Let's just be honest. Our agenda, our issues, our thoughts, more important than the thoughts of God. This is why we need each other. This is why this morning <coughs> I haven't been able to sing this song, but I've heard the church singing it, and it's welled something up in me. It's made my heart grow bigger. It's made my ears quick to listen, to hear the church say, no, you are God, not us. You lead us on not us. And that is what we were meant to declare together. Um, the, uh, the idea of you are God, Deuteronomy chapter 6, you see a very famous portion of Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 
through 9. But we, also, we often fly by verse 4. Verse 4 says, Listen, O Israel, <coughs> the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. This is not an insignificant verse. Typically what we like to do is we like to love the Lord your God. With all we, we run to what we can do. But we don't sit in the fact that it was opened up with, Pay attention, Israel, there's only one God. I wish we had hours to unpack that together because of the implication of there being one God. It is incredible what that means for you and me. But we'll read the rest and, and you'll see why the declaration of being one God was important to him. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk to them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Jesus reinforced this when he was questioned. What's the greatest commandment? Typically, we fly by it, but in Mark chapter 12, he opens up. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. You see, the phrase, you are God, is the phrase that is to be inspired by us in every way God has chosen to reveal himself to us. In theology, in, in, in Christian theology, we believe that God has revealed himself in certain ways to us. One of those ways is in nature. We don't downplay the value of nature because there have been times I have stood in places and the first thing in my mind has not been how great I am. You stand at the Grand Canyon, you stand at a sunset, you stand, you, 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 you experience childbirth for the first time. You're not thinking, man, I am awesome. You're thinking how insignificant I am. There's a reason for that, because nature declares you alone are God. Psalm 19, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. Nature declares you alone are Lord. We see Scripture we believe that this book right here, the whole reason we've been given it is it so that our heart might go, I'm not God, you are. You see in John chapter 20, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. I open this book, I read of his rescue, I see of the hope, I see of, the, I see of his wrath, I see of his forgiveness, and my heart goes, you are God. The scripture reveals to us he alone is God. In, in, in theology and in, in the Christian world, we believe that the conscience reveals that God is God alone. In Romans chapter 2, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing it right. Now see, the, the problem is, we don't suppress this, sin causes us to ignore this. Sin causes us to run the other direction. Sin causes us to do the opposite. You go anywhere around the world, there are several things that can be agreed upon as wrong. But because of sin, it has kept it down and gone, well, I'll just do whatever I think. Forget my conscience. And sin begins to, 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 to destroy and tear us to this place of where we become animals, ultimately. And it's what happens. But our, the conscience was given to go, no, there's a reason that we all kind of think this because God has written it on our hearts so that we might declare, you are God. 
The final way we believe is that Jesus. Quite possibly, if you don't have a correct view of God, the reason is because you don't look at Jesus. You think you're trying to do your own thing. You're like, oh, I do God all by myself out in nature. And I read Harry Potter and I read this and that reminds me of God. And I'm like, what? That's the worst view of God you could possibly have. Jesus is so much better. And so in John chapter 1, you see no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Jesus paints a picture of who God is for us. He performs these miracles. He, he does these amazing things. He teaches. He makes these outrageous statements that he is God. He makes these claims. But then he is killed, put on a cross, dies, and then raises again. Why? So that God can say, I am who I say I am. Jesus was given to us so that we might know and our hearts might utter the phrase, you are God. We exist to make that declaration, but you and I both know that's the most difficult phrase for a human, wicked, sinful heart to say. Because all day long, it's about us. That's the problem. That's where sin comes in. Now, for us, um, I want to show you uh, the the first lyric slide, if you want (coughs) to throw that up there. You're closer than our troubles. See, my heart really goes after what does the opposite of this say? Because nine times out of ten when I'm singing these songs, I don't necessarily know if I'm paying attention to the words. You're closer than our troubles. Do I actually believe that or am I like, oh, nope, my troubles seem real big right now. More present than any danger? No, 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 you are not. My danger is really present. More grand than gold and silver? Yeah, no, I'm going after that money. I actually think money is more grand than you, so let's just go there. You are God, you are God. Nope, I am God, I am God. You see, you can say these declarations, but what you live really declares what's on this screen. You're the joy of man's desire? No, (laughs) I am the joy of my own desire. You are father satisfier? Nope, you don't know what you're doing. I know what's best for me. And we're stunned with that wide-eyed wonder. Actually, I am stunned with wide-eyed wonder of myself. What I did today was awesome. How I accomplished that on my own, brilliant. I am God. I am God. We don't like to say it that way, but the way we live paints that picture. So you can say, we can say a whole lot of big things as a church. You say it, that's easy. But what I live, actually, will that declare those statements. And see, this is why worshiping together is so important. Doing this in a corporate setting is huge. Like I told you, because of where I've been coughing and head cold and eyeballs swollen and can't feel my brain, all those things this this last week, I was listening. And over at the Great Eagle, to hear them declaring, you are God, is something in me, my heart's going, you're right, you are God, not me. You're right, the the troubles that I've had, they're close, but you're closer. All the things that we just talked about, all the things that Nate just said up here, it's true. And I'm hearing everyone say these things out loud. The words matter. And it's welling up something in me to go, no, Jesus, you are better. You are God alone. Not the things that I'm pursuing, not the things I'm running after, not the things that I love, but you 
are worth it. Uh, and, and you stand up in this strength. And, and I know it may seem anticlimactic, but anytime I can use Back to the Future to help understand the Word of God, I will. Um, there's this scene, and I won't show it because, I mean, most of you might have seen it. If you haven't, I'm not ruining anything for you because it's been out for 25 years. So um, there's this scene where Michael J. Fox's character is playing in the 1950s. He's playing a guitar, you know, and he's playing and he's playing and he's playing. But there's this moment where his hand starts to disappear. And he starts to get woozy and he starts to lose balance and he falls down and he's not playing really well. And it's because his dad is not doing what he was supposed to do. See, in the line of history, the story goes, his dad punches the bully in the face, rescues the damsel in distress, they get married, and Michael J. Fox's character is born. Well, if dad doesn't do what he's supposed to do, Michael J. Fox disappears from history. And so what we're beginning to see is the thought of the dad is, I'm not going to do this. I can't do this. I'm not strong enough to do this. But then all of a sudden there's this turn and the dad knocks the bully out and things are right as they're supposed to be. And, and Michael's hand comes back and he stands back up and he just plays it strong. He's like, you know, it's this cool two-second thing that I always pay attention and notice. But it's what happens for us when we know our dad's doing what he's supposed to do, we can stand strong. <laughs> like when we know our father, and that is, that is his name in the scriptures, we can't get away from that. Don't dumb that down. That is a very important name, but that he is our father, and he's doing what he's supposed to do, and he knows what's going on, and he's got it. We can stand confidently amongst troubles, amongst dangers, amongst everything, because he's got it. And that's what this song is a declaration of. You are God, not me. And so look at that lyric slide and really just to, to give some, some depth to it and some breath to it. Closer than our troubles. See, the one thing I don't like about the public's view of Christians is that they think Christians have their head in the sand. Folks, I'm no dummy. I know troubles are close. Yes, there are the people who are like, yes, with Jesus, everything is fluffy. Everything Every day is like a Friday with Jesus. And I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's not. There are things that are awful. There are things that are terrible. But the Christ follower's view is that he is closer than any of those troubles. That there is a God who is bigger than the troubles that we walk with. That God is central, not our trials, not our troubles. They're very present. Danger. I mean, obviously, Psalm 135 says this. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put <coughs> my hope in his word. That's a declaration of, if God, you don't show up, I got nothing. If you don't do what you're supposed to do, I have nothing. I'm not counting on people. I'm not counting on men. Because, folks, if you count on me, the one thing I can guarantee you is I'm going to let you down. I'm going to say something that's wrong. I'm going to annoy you. I'm going to seem come off arrogant. I'm going to come off prideful. I know all these things about me. I know my tendencies. I know what I'm capable of, and I would not put your trust in me. But when I say, God, you have all of this, and if you don't show up, I got nothing. More grand than gold and silver? Guys, I know money has worth. I'm not going, hey, let's just get rid of all this money because I know it's got worth. But what I'm saying through these lyrics is you have more worth. I've seen the destruction of pursuing money. I've seen what it's done. I know it's grip on my own heart. So I'm going to declare, yes, money is important, but you are bigger. You are grander. 
than gold and silver. Listen, Mark chapter 8. It's a common, common thought process for us as Christ followers. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Philippians 3.7, Paul is, is, is basically reviewing his life and he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Psalm 22, verse 26. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise Him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. If you can go back to that lyric slide. You're the joy of man's desire. It means you are the fuel of everything that I want. You have it all. There is nothing that you don't have. Everything you have, I need. You're the joy of man's desire. Satisfier. The Puritans had this amazing view on what it meant to thirst. They said there was the, the thirst of the unsatisfied soul, the one who is not in Christ, who has not acknowledged Christ, who does not acknowledge Christ, who's trying to cram everything into their lives that they possibly can. They're saying, oh, I need this. If I can just get this, I'll be satisfied. And if I can get this, I'll be satisfied. If I can get this, I'll be satisfied. And they keep doing that, finding no satisfaction. But then there is the thirst of the saint's soul. I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you, in Christ, when you've given your life to Christ, you still thirst, don't you? You feel a restlessness. You feel an uneasiness. You're like, man, there's something. And that is what you and I were meant to do. See, when it says the poor, they eat and they're satisfied, they don't just eat one time, right? You've got to keep eating, correct, to stay satisfied? Or am I alone here? You guys just eat one time? That's it? No, you have to eat multiple times. But the, the way the Puritans saw it was, we found the satisfier. We have found the one who we continually go to to find that satisfaction, who pours into us, who pours into us, and we keep going there. We don't go other places, because when we do, that's when things get rough. That's when we begin to put things in us that don't belong there. You are Father, you are satisfier, you are the one who keeps satisfying. You don't just go once, but you keep going back because you found the source. Uh, you can look at the second lyric slide. You fill our hearts with love and faith. There are some of you in this room, I am out of love. I can't love nobody, nobody else. I'm done. Can't do it. You need to run to him. There are some of you who are like, I, I, I got no faith left. You need to run to him. Some of you will, the temptation is going to be, well, because I don't have love and faith, I can't run to God. Don't believe the baloney. Don't believe that lie. You run to him. He is the one who fills you with his love so you can love. And when you open the scriptures and when you get in community, you begin to hear of God's faithfulness to the, to the saints. You begin to hear of God's faithfulness and provision together. And you begin to go, wow, faith is welling up in me. Faith is building. Faith is building. Faith is building. I find myself with this much faith when yesterday I had zero faith. It is a process. You fight for us. You make us brave. Um, look at Psalm 25, verse 15. My eyes are always on the Lord, for he rescues me from the traps of my enemies. <laughs> Some of you have said, no one's ever fought for me, so I've always done it for myself. It's not so with Jesus. He fought for you. And the Lord continues to fight for you. He continues to move on your behalf. These are declarations of who God is. You know, the writer of this song didn't just go, I'm going to make these qualities up about God and just sing a song about it. No, they're from the scriptures. 
They declare who he is. Psalm 25.5 says this, Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. A.W. Tozer put it, this, put it this way, and I find it completely true in every in- instance I have ever run into. A.W. Tozer said, What fascinates us guides us. There hasn't been one instance I've not seen that true. What you are fascinated and fixated on will guide you. And as the church and as Christ followers, what we're saying is we are in awe of God. You guide us. Not just individually, but as a church. We're not walking because of this is what we want, this is what we want, this is what we want. No, God, you fascinate us. You rescued us. You pursued us. You loved us first. I don't get that. I am in awe of you. We will follow you. That is the 